is out at the Arnold. He might be calling in. We're not sure yet. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, Associate Professor at the Kerrig Institute, creator of the Flex Diet and the Fizz Flex Certs, and in Minnesota still. Been home for the last couple of weeks, which is it's been a little bit warmer lately. It's supposed to get some horrible freezing rain today, and yeah, it's nice to wake up in the same bed and train in the same place for three weeks in a row. It's amazing how much more progress you make. <laughs> yeah. This is Coach Durrell. I uh, run Strength Guild Lifting in Kansas City. Um, coach a lot of weightlifting, uh, powerlifting, strongman type stuff, and kind of general strength and conditioning. Um, I don't have anything fun going on. It's like just started one month here, so we've we're able to open the garage doors. So I like that's usually a highlight of the. Oh, there you first. go. Yeah. What's the temp there? Uh, I'd say like gonna sneak into the 60s. Oh, nice. It's gonna be the rest of the day, but pretty warm right now. Yeah, it's starting to get to the point here where if it, I walked back. I only go to the commercial gym once a week, but I walked back from there on Monday. It was. 36 degrees just wearing a t-shirt it's like oh this is amazing <laughs> yeah yeah everybody starts we like my uh bursts in like training popularity is not like i don't have a january rush i also don't push too hard in january but like spring and fall are like our big like if people are going to join to like get coaching it's like spring and fall are the two why is that? Is it people getting ready for summer or just the change in athletes? Or uh, I think it's more so in terms of like weightlifting stuff, that's like a year-round thing. But that's a trickle, like a slow mm. trickle because it's a that's like a dark sport. We'll say that. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you know. Uh, but it's like about getting into routine. So when people have kind of empty breaks, especially with kids and stuff, it's like summer, not so great. You know, winter, also not so great. Because you're right in the middle. Like January, for most people, is kind of right in the middle of like winter vacation and stuff for their kids. So if you're going to join something where you're going to go get coaching, I think has something to do with it. Where it's like you're not just joining a gym. You're, you know, kind of committing to something. It's a bigger commitment too. Yeah, so I, I think that changes it to where people are like all right my life's going to be stable for at least you know however many months so that makes them more likely to join in the spring and fall ah got it like right when routines are kind of getting settled and that kind of stuff you're saying you can't just run like, a yeah. gym off of just olympic lifters and potentially professional uh athletes <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, I would say weightlifting, like if I really committed to weightlifting, it would be tough, but I think weightlifting you could, but it would be like kind of like a sport development thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was my original plan when I closed the closed the other location or closed the gym and came over here. I was going to focus on weightlifting and like after school stuff, but I I still had kind of a contingent of like people who like my strength and conditioning sessions and classes and stuff that I, I wanted to keep. So I just kind of kept it going and then people joined it. So, yeah. 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 I often laugh because some students, especially more in the past when I taught more in person would be like, I want to, 
I want to run a gym and I only want it to be professional athletes. I'm like, <laughs> okay, one, you, you, you don't have any experience, but, but let's just disregard that for a while. Let's say you've got 10 years experience. You're like the best in the U S I don't even know anyone who with the, there's a couple private exceptions. So it's this thing where it looks good and you're in theory, it maybe makes sense, but in reality it's, no, you're probably going to, yeah, you can go move more that direction for sure. And there's a need, but you're still going to have to keep the lights on and pay the bills. And most of that's probably not going to yeah. come from only your professional athletes either. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was that was my not exact thought coming out. Like, oh yeah, I want to work with yeah. You know, mine <laughs> was like, I want to work with people who like give a shit basically and want to like train hard. And I thought, oh yeah, well, you know, athletes. I didn't necessarily isolate it to professional athletes, but I said, oh, like athletes would. But honestly, athletes, it's like the same as like normal population. Like, I've trained some. Folks. And they, they they don't really want to work. You know what I mean? Like they they have more reason not to work out, right? They have you yeah. Know, I think there's a, a sub fraction you'll find of an elite athlete who wants yeah, to train so hard and has you know good exactly talent, like genetics, or whatever, and in, still like, trains you know, hard. Jordan but I think that's the, the extreme like, minority that's because not the, you know, the handful of ones I've worked with, they're did really well, and and one athlete. Like basically flat out be like, um, yeah, I haven't really. He was a basketball player. He's like, I I haven't really ever trained that hard in my life, and I'm getting paid a couple million to play in the NBA now, so I don't think it's going to help me. <laughs> I was like, okay, I I don't agree, but I could see how you have that opinion. That kind of makes sense. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they, and I mean, it's hard. Like, usually it's younger. I've I've had one mm. NFL guy that he, he trained hard, but honestly, most of the time we were sweating out alcohol with him and all that stuff. So it, <laughs> it wasn't really. Like we got some stuff accomplished over the off season, and he made the team. That, like he was basically trying to make, uh, make the team and make pension. Uh, so that would have been his sixth, his sixth year in the NFL, I think. I uh, was basically just trying to be on a team or whatever, <laughs> and pass the conditioning tests. And so we worked with him on stuff, and it's like, I mean, almost every Friday you come in because you had like some golf thing on Thursdays. Yeah. So he'd come in hungover, we'd like push the prowler around a bit and he'd throw up and all this. And that was like, that was like the process. Yeah, so, and big money too. But none of the other, unless it's like a short-term thing where they, you know, the combine's a big deal. You know, that's like the difference between like a second round or right. a third, you know, third through six for a lot of mid-major college type guys 
or people who didn't. Yeah. And so they can see the value of that. But like trying to talk yeah. to person, NBA yeah. person. And even I think it's getting player, much better with the NBA. I mean, it used to be that guilty of not working out. Even not five, ten years ago, like I knew like some this, of this the, the strength and conditioning coaches for sport, top NBA teams. I won't mention any names. And like a, one guy like basically told concept. me, he's like, well, the general management and the management of the team doesn't really enforce training. And so, like, I can tell them to show up to three days a week of, like, 30 minutes of training. But if they don't, there's, like, no ramifications if they ramifications if they don't. So he's like, eh, you know, 30%, 40% of the people show up. <laughs> and then one other guy who, uh, same same idea a few years later. They had fines if they didn't uh, show up for for training, and he had a couple of players that just paid all their fines for the year ahead of time and just said, "I'm not coming." <laughs> right, right. But especially in, and I know that culture has gotten you know a lot different. Baseball has gone through a lot of changes. Like strength and conditioning is a huge part of you know most most teams now. Uh, but I, th- I think there's also the cultural aspect of. Hey, all I really want to do is play, you know, baseball, basketball, whatever sport it is. It's like most of those people don't like training, which I think is kind of a shock to most new people getting into strength and conditioning because they love strength and conditioning. So their assumption is everyone must love it, especially professional athletes. This is what they do. And a lot of times you find out it's like, no, I just want to play my sport. I I could give a rat's ass about what goes on in the gym. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, you know what helps most sports like that, like especially baseball. I think baseball strength strength training changed the most when, like, in the steroid era, where people didn't really understand that they were taking steroids. They just thought, like, you know what I mean? Like, it, in basketball, I saw. You know, even the other day where people were talking about, I think it was another podcast. Like, I don't want to, I can't yeah, think I of mean, what it was. I hate seems to, not to be the credit, trend, right? It's, oh, we're talking about they were NBA taking players, steroids. It was, it was creatine, like, oh, like, this new training program. Well, so once they start like, talking about steroids, no, then the steroids. But it probably got a lot more people to like, be oh, okay, interested in like weight training. Because I think, for better or worse, they saw that, oh, oh, this thing could help. Oh, look at these people. They're bigger and stronger. Oh, they're doing better. Oh, maybe it is helpful. <laughs> exactly. See, so, yeah, right. it's this one's that, and as a bad like, because I I played basketball, that was my sport, and I'll. The the thought, at least, and it's kind of a weird one, and I think it was in baseball too, was like getting stronger would make you slower and mess up your shot. Like that, you know, it would make you the same thing in baseball where it's like, oh, this will mess up your swing. I, I remember hearing that. I still hear it from goofy people here and there. Yeah. But like the idea that strength and muscle mass just automatically make you slower 
Which could be true if you just went to like a body, like, and I know this happened initially where people just went to like bodybuilding coaches or whatever, and they would just do bodybuilding stuff all the time. Like, you know, bodybuilding splits and all that stuff. It wasn't really built for, you know, developing athleticism or anything or helping with strength and athleticism. So, but at least now, and I wouldn't even say that there's an understanding of it. I think it's oh, almost yeah. more confusing now. Like, yeah, if you a lot of the stuff that just starting out looks sexy, may you looked at all the options detrimental. Of how different people train. Uh, so I think of like the weighted bat stuff, so much right? It's stuff out put a weight on the end of the bat, like and oh look, it's sports specific. It's like what background and you know, some of the culture. early studies, and I haven't looked at any of the studies in the last couple of years, showed that. You know, you messed up the motor control part of it. But then I've heard now there's other studies. You you can do that if it's within a certain percentage and certain parameters or whatever. I'm not an expert in that area. But one of those things where <clears throat> it may look sport-specific, but yeah. it doesn't transfer to your sport. It may actually make you potentially worse at your sport. But those are the things that people see and tend to get marketed as sexy and because it's, you know, something you could look at and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's like, no, that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I think if you've got a smaller weight within a small percentage, there may be some benefit, but I'm, I haven't tracked any of the studies recently. <laughs> yeah well the most of the studies suggest it's like the the weight is usually too, like when people do it, it's like the weight's too heavy like you don't need that yes. it's like slight variation right so you have a little bit heavier and a little bit lighter and i only know this because one of the guys i have is really into golf and like advancing his swing and they go through the same stuff where it's like no you don't need just like a super heavy club you need a slightly heavier one to practice like to if you're trying to build your drive anyway slightly heavier oh yeah yeah i remember that they used to do that before that was part one. of the warm-up like back so in the day on a little bit on the like the velocity curve like on different parts of the velocity curve but the idea of doing like in baseball because this happened in baseball where there's like you remember the, yep. was it the donut? <clears throat> yeah, so you had the donut, and it was like most of the, the donut was too heavy most of the time. Like that, and it would like if you go too far on that mm -hmm. curve, it actually slows you down, slows your swing speed. But if you can go out just outside of it, just a little bit heavier, then it helps. But again. It's kind of one of those things like if it's just a little bit heavier, people kind of get this idea of like, I don't feel like it's helping. And so then it just ruins it all. But I know yeah. we've had less to <laughs> use that kind of stuff now than yeah, before. And, and no one like, has any sort of weird like rituals or something like that. professional I don't sports see it about anything. As much so. as I used to. <laughs> so I think they've kind of moved uh, on from – <laughs> but they had they yeah. heard it was bad once and then that was that. So what's the weirdest one you've ever heard of? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, especially baseball. Baseball is probably like the worst. 
Uh, I don't know about, we'll see, athlete ones. You always hear about certain oh, socks okay. and stuff. I used to have a picture. He had a weird one that I can't think of right now. But uh, just from a fan standpoint, so and I just heard this the other day. So I was thinking on the top of my head. Uh, one of my people who trains, his dad is a huge White Sox fan. And oh, wow. So an anti-Cubs fan, pretty much by default, I guess. And so what he does whenever the Cubs are playing, he has like <laughs> a like a Cubs <clears throat> Barbie doll that he like like hangs from a, the ceiling fan or something like that, like hangs it up luck towards the Cubs. That was probably the most – I was like, that's a – and like make sure, like, oh, shoot, the Cubs are playing. I got to put this up. That's, hmm. that's what he was saying. Did it work? He said, I mean, he's like, my dad <laughs> in any other way is like super rational, normal, right. and all that. Like never, you know, really straight laced. But this one <laughs> thing he has to do to like make sure to, to That's what's also more amazing to me. It's like how people will stick with certain things I, even I mean, I don't think when so, they're faced with the reality of it's not they, working. They've had a World Series within the last like, oh. Okay. Yeah, so, hmm. and I think yeah. I forgot to put it up. I have, I have yeah, to follow there, up. On I it. mean, there is something I think to having rituals, right? So, for people who are higher end lifters, or something that even listeners can do is, you know, having you know similar clothes, similar shoes yeah. that you kind of only wear, you know, training. <laughs> That's what I would say is like a use stress model, right? So your certain music, um, you know, your routine. I think all of that can get you in the right state, but the challenge with that is then to balance it out sometimes with uh, a distress training, right? Where you have completely different shoes, a different shirt, different pair of shorts, you're traveling, you're in a different gym, you're not doing the same routine. Okay, so everything is almost different now. Can you still perform under those conditions, right? You probably don't want to train under those conditions most of the time it's going to be a minority of the time but i think if you go too far into like a eustress model where you potentially become fragile at some point right it's like oh my god i didn't have my 30 grams of you know carbohydrates before training i'm screwed it's like no bro you'll, you'll be okay right so i think there's always that balance where a lot of people everything is so chaotic like every session is almost a distress session. Like they can't find their shoes. They don't know what they're doing. They don't even have a program written down. They ate maybe yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but now I haven't had too many, and I think you would get into it with baseball the most because I think baseball is, especially like pitching, is the most you meet the most superstitious type. Like, gotta have, I don't know where whatever socks on game day. There was one day that when I was over in Kansas City. And I used to play basketball mm-hmm. meetings this is a long time ago, back when <laughs> Zach Grinky was with the Royals. And he and he came over to play some pickup ball. I don't know that he was supposed to, but 
it was like on a day he wasn't pitching or whatever. And he was there just kind of messing around. Super athletic dude, actually. But you would never think of it as a pitcher. He just stands on the mound hmm. and throws a ball. But <laughs> he wow. could dunk and stuff. Like, he was pretty athletic. And it wasn't him, but he was talking about one of their – one of the starting pitchers at that time had certain – in like certain days of the like certain days of the week that he couldn't yeah. pitch on. Like <laughs> just wouldn't. Like even had it written into his contract. Like can't pitch on like a Wednesday or a Friday. Like whatever it was. And he was like, Oh yeah, there's a lot of weird <laughs> stuff like that. And you have guys who have all kinds of little So one of the guys remember those mini trolls, like with the long hair? Like he had like a certain troll that he had to use on and if one didn't work, he had a, like, oh, well, that one's luck ran out. We got to get oh, yeah. the new one. That was like, that was like their thing. So he yeah. had a couple little stories that he told me when we were kind of messing around. But basketball doesn't have too much of that. And also, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with how many games you end up. Like if you play a lot in the NBA, 82 games, it's like, what, two or three games a week at least for – Actually, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like three, at least three games a week for the season for the most part. So if you have that many games, then you probably have a little bit better chance to be – Yeah, just because you have so, pit, like a starting pitcher so much practice. Versus, uh, reminds me of there's like a, a closer some studies where they did looking at kind of the winner versus uh, loser effect. Where you could pitch, you know, so they every had – I want to say I would it was assume you probably don't have insect those battles little things between like one bug versus with. the other bug, and I don't remember. Maybe it was it was a lobster or something. I can't remember. But they would be able to predict like if the the little insect guy won the last two rounds, like he was statistically significantly more likely to win the next round, even against different competitors. And so they started thinking, well, does this happen in, you know, like high school and college sports? And they're like, well, where would you ever be able to look at this? And then in baseball, sometimes softball, you've got a double header, right? So does the person or the team that wins the first one, are they more likely to win the second one? And the short version of the story is that in kind of college and minor leagues, that does appear to be in effect but the initial data when they looked at professional sports, it doesn't look like there's as much of an effect. And their thought process was that, well, if you're a professional and you've played that many games and you got to that level, you kind of have to play in either circumstance, right? You have to be good at possibly playing easier after a win. And then you also have to be good at having a loss and being able to come back and to win again. But in non-professional teams it looked like there was a statistical difference between them which i thought was interesting yeah yes i think probably and this is one thing, especially in sports, that would be impossible to study, or at least pretty close to impossible to like actually nail it down. But particularly with people too, like people just coming into the gym, just momentum. Like, what is the lowest possible victory that 
registers and then how do you build on that that little victory right like so when people see a, a win like see a little win like they're more likely especially with my style of training and i would assume like just our style of training in general once they see a win they're more likely to like the next you know training session training cycle be more consistent whatever and it's like the more like the better you get the deeper you get into the game it's like the the smaller the win seems to be what matters the most, like to keep your momentum up or to build momentum. Like, cause with weightlifting, it's like, you're not going to, your first 12 week cycle will be like gangbusters. Like if you do a good strength program for 12 weeks to even yeah, like a that's year, good. right? You'll go, crazy. <laughs> You'll go like, you know, putting a hundred pounds on a squat and in that kind of amount of time is not crazy for a beginner, but you know, you look at, let's talk like the Olympic guys are spending a four year cycle to add four kilos to their total. Yeah. And that's, that's a great proof. So it's like, how do you maintain the momentum when, particularly when victories like that slow down? You know, sport, it might be a little bit more difficult to like track what that momentum actually is. Like, even in the course of a game, like you can see it in the game and feel it when you're sitting at home, but like actually measuring it or like putting something behind it to like test it out. But how important is that factor psychologically? I mean, it's like night and day for, for most people. It's like once they start building momentum, then it's, you can kind of <laughs> traverse them to the, yeah. I mean, I do something similar with programming, path, especially right? with more advanced people I work pounds, with. Is you that... see those first, Five you're so far off. past like I mean, even where i'm training now it's like i'm you're like oh okay then, well then past like the beginner state in. like i'm not going to add 100 pounds to Can't my squat no matter what even my squat numbers are keto, but... ridiculously low um but at the same point i can look at what are markers of overload right so primarily volume uh, also density so volume divided by time and then just your you know one rm like can you lift a heavier load and i found that if i'm tracking those at least on the lifts that i want to progress on i don't track it on absolutely everything because that gets to be kind of crazy most of the time in any one session i use kind of more of an auto regulatory format i can make progress in one of those three like most of the time not every session but most of the time so even like you know the other day i did a saxon pinch bar for grip stuff for 150 i got five reps in a row so that's the most volume in a single set I've done at that weight for that particular lift. Granted, it was not that much more. It was only two reps more, but it's still progress, right? And then over time, I know that that's <clears throat> moving in the right you know, direction. Or, you know, some people have said, well, if you, you know, did a squat and did, you know, sets of, let's say, five at a certain weight, you know, could you do a sixth set? If you did, then you've probably done more volume at that particular thing. And then some people kind of argue that, like, well, you're just, you just added another set. I'm like, yeah, but you still did more volume, so it doesn't matter, right? If you can keep the quality high enough, you know, I've had some place, sometimes where I've done seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve sets of an exercise. If everything is still going good, feels good, and I'm still hitting the reps with the weight, eh, I'll just keep going, right? Because I know. If I can do more than I've done before, I'm moving in the right direction. <laughs> and I'm not going to see like those, you know, you go to test your one rep max and it's 20 pounds heavier than what it was before. It's just not going to happen. 
right? So I think just looking for those small variables. And then when I find if I have any sort of pain or it's been a couple sessions and nothing's kind of moved, then I'm probably going to change, you know, the movement, maybe go to an accessory, a contra-specific movement. You know, maybe there's something else that's now limiting me to make progress, right? And then work on that for a while and see if it transfers to the thing I want to improve and just, you know, ad nauseum for a couple decades. <laughs> yep. But I do think you have to look for those... <clears throat> Those kind of small wins and those indicators, you know, to know, am I really making progress or am I just being stubborn and beating my head against the wall and stuff starting to go backwards, right? Because then you need to change something. And most of the time, even if you miss those backwards indicators, I found you'll get pain in certain areas, right? Or something will happen to just to kind of slow you down. And ideally, you would move before that happens. And so that's why even with people online, I'm always asking them, like, you know, if you have any pain during an exercise, let me know. Obviously, I don't want you to work through pain because it's potentially a liability issue, too. But most of it's just because that's kind of your body's signaling of, okay, maybe we've kind of maxed out this direction, this movement, or something's radically changed that we need to address um, instead of just keep running those pathways and, you know, potentially screwing up the tissue and you know everything else where now you've dug a much bigger hole and it's, it's harder to get out of vast majority of the time your progress is kind of ground ground to a halt there too you had some other news from the world of fitness Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, <laughs> this isn't really... Who was it? Was it IOC or was it somebody else? This morning was... Uh, they popped some new Russian weightlifters from the 2012, 2013... I don't know who that is. <laughs> so, Russia's... Oh, okay. Russia's huh. being Russia, you know? I'm... Uh, Right, right. Um, it says that the ITA, which is, I haven't, I haven't. Shocker. Uh, oh, inter- sorry. It's the International <laughs> Testing Agency. But uh, I don't know what, because usually it's USADA or WADA, but I haven't heard that. So ITA is who did the testing, and on this list is some of the popular Russians. Klokov is on Did it. they say what it was for? Yeah, at the okay. Akadov was uh, Akudov, Akadov. Because yeah. I'm, uh, I'm always so curious to see if it's something time. that was maybe quote unquote undetectable so, yeah. at the I time. Mean, not news but now necessarily. Russians is detectable because they have a test for it. But, so you're going to go back and run uh, people no, previous because they weren't no. able to run it at Article. that time. That would be maybe my guess, but that's purely just speculation. Doesn't say what age. Yeah. Me neither. Of course we are. Yeah, I, it doesn't say what they 
what they did for. And like I said, I hadn't heard of this Angels team before. So. You know what I thought when all the Russian stuff started kind of going down? I was like, I bet you we're going to see some more Russians getting popped from earlier right. weightlifting medals. They already got banned and stuff from everything. Them and Belarus, like, pretty much got, like, no one's recognizing them. They're banned from IWF competitions right now, which I kind of think is, I mean, kind of silly, but um, just because it's not the athlete's fault, you know what I mean? But I understand not wanting to promote any kind of propaganda for a country. Like, you don't want to see them anything like that. In Belarus, same thing. I know they're, they, they want to be Russia so bad, but mm. but both of those countries, obviously, Russia's still in yeah, hot water with I would, the WF. But I would love to know. I don't know if this will ever come out. Really like in those countries, were, do the you know, lifters sign off on it? Like, do they really know what's going on, or it's like here's your B twelve injection again? You know, <laughs> who knows when that's going to be? But yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I that one's hard to tell because it wasn't too long ago that it was you know the Egyptian was it yeah. the Egyptian team they're doping like their youth athletes like which is like why like why you know who's paying that much attention to stuff that oh yeah you have to win like how good is how good of propaganda is it that some kids are winning weightlifting competitions? You know, like it. I don't know. It doesn't. That one didn't seem to make too much sense to me. But like doping at, you know, for your fourteen-year-old athlete seems like like a silly notion all around. Because yeah. it seems like high, no reward. <clears throat> now, like pro athletes, I get it. Like with these guys, because the medals they got popped for was like 2012, 2013. So it's like. If you paid attention to weightlifting at the time, like I was, like I watched, I watched them win. So yeah, and they've had ten it, years of, I mean, sort in of my mind, whatever the rewards like, were, especially in those countries, is, like in the U.S., like most so people probably couldn't even name who won Olympic weightlifting for the U.S. or how the U.S. finished in any Olympics or any competition. But any of those athletes, you know, in other too. countries, that's a that's a huge deal. There, like so. you're, you know, celebrity, and you get all sorts of endorsements and you know, money from that. It's like, well, yeah, I had a good run for 12 years there, you know? <laughs> yes. Right. Right. Uh-huh. And I don't know if there's financial implications either. I would, that would be where I would think that there was an issue. Like someone would change yeah. how they were operating if they started. Like, hey, the money that you made from this, you owe us this back or whatever. But I, I don't know enough about the punishments yeah. besides that they get sanctioned and all that stuff. I, I still don't understand. Yeah, I mean, I think because the thought which I agree is a, as a like, noble oh, thought. I don't know how it works in reality. Is that oh well, we're trying like, not to like, punish the athletes you know, for Olympic something their like country Russian did. Olympic like yeah, but uh, 
And so I don't Especially with adults that at that point. Like, that like, makes I, zero sense to me. So I would I imagine, again, that, I could but... be wrong, that most of the people kind of knew what they were doing or at least had some suspicion. So I get it. And, you know, maybe in that culture, there isn't any other option. So that is kind of the only only road. But, yeah, it just, I don't know, just seems to be messy, especially when it's over such a short period of time. It's like I can see that if you've got – you know, Russia's banned for a decade that, yeah, okay, you can have athletes still compete who are kind of coming up under the sort of the ban. But if you spend all your time training in that system and now it's like, oh, yeah, just, just compete under ROC, it's fine. Uh, I, I, uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, you want to host I, Olympics? I don't understand that or the international <laughs> politics behind any of it because Russia and China, like they get in trouble quite often. China, not so much in IWF, but in other things. But then, like the main committees will reward them with, like, you know, exactly. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, and that's the hard part too. Is that it, so that stuff, it, it makes, makes everybody look bad, corruption and stuff right? And then it's an it, excuse to be like, oh, yeah, this isn't an Olympic sport anymore. It's just that, easier for them to just disavow it as Olympic sport than it is to spend any money trying to clean it up. It's like, ah, this is not a thing anymore. We just won't have it in the Olympics. What? Yeah, and if... yeah. yeah. And if people have never watched the movie, yeah. uh, that Icarus, it's all you can find it on Netflix. Crazy to me, but uh, really, and obviously, uh, Jared Fogle, I think, did it. Stuff, so yeah, super interesting how you know the to main guy who was in World charge Cup of the Russian too, uh, doping and anti-doping. He's in charge of both for decades. Like he. Uh, exiled to the U.S. and brought all the documentation with him. And the scene in there where he, like, flops down all this documentation at, like, one of the IOC meetings, and the look on their face is just like, what? He's like, no, it's all just perfectly documented here. He's like, we kept meticulous records. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I don't know how much more evidence you need than that, you know? And they showed it going back for decades. And, like, the, the Soji Olympics, how they had the facilities set up so they could pass, like, clean urine samples in between the two areas. And, like, shit, if you're doing that, like, you could go back and and test for whatever you want for eternity. And you're not going to find anything because it wasn't the athlete sample at that time. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty crazy. Oh, yeah, they tried everything. They had people that tried to look like them, like faking the test. Yeah. Like they had rumored yep. that KGB wow. broke into the I facility mean, and was swapping urine samples. I think one of them was ago, they were they, they had set up the facilities, like I said, <laughs> yeah. next to because like, it was built in Soji, test. right? So the Russians are like, well, we can kind of build it however we want. And so they 
had like these secret trap doors between the testing facility where they could pass urine samples back and forth and <laughs> yeah No, I mean, Russia deserve whatever they get, they deserve. The only thing I would say with the, the, like the war stuff, like they didn't do, it's not like they said, hey, let's go, let's go take over. Like they didn't do any of that. They're the furthest away from. Oh, you're talking decisions. about the athletes. So yeah. if you're going to say that about anything, it would be, you know, the political, I don't know, elbow rubbing that, you know, Putin does quite often. And oh, yeah. The war stuff. It's like they're, they literally don't have yeah, anything like, to do with that, you, right? Just because you live in a country, especially a country like friggin' Russia, yeah. Like, so it's like you shouldn't be held liable that, for what that your crazy one, leaders doing. <laughs> that they would ban them because of this <laughs> makes less sense to me than the drug stuff. So, yeah. Right. I mean, how many could you even put on that list? Like, there's a lot of countries that do some wild stuff or have a lot of problems that are still allowed to compete. I I mean, obviously, it's like a political statement kind of thing. So, I don't know much, as much about it as I should. Probably should do a little bit more reading to understand why they're banning people during you know, oh, huge. I would say times, I guess it has a lot to do with propaganda and all that, but. Because I will say, strength, yep. especially weightlifting stuff in the Eastern German and in Russia, like up until maybe the <laughs> '90s, and obviously they still have it in their mind that it's like this. But that was like a huge propaganda thing. Like we have the and we have the strongest whatever. You know, obviously Hitler, that was a big deal for him, which was why when they were losing, it wasn't good. Especially when they were losing to black people, they didn't like that so much. But. <laughs> that kind of stuff so it's just kind of one of those things that i don't yeah. understand what <laughs> the, the, the bureaucratic what? is as much <laughs> obviously i just kind of like the athletic stuff i don't really care so much about the bureaucracy bureaucracy behind all of it i mean even crossfit was like we're not going to recognize russia or like recognize their government so i was like when does crossfit recognize yeah. any governments <laughs> yeah. I was like just like the statement that was made I was like I don't understand what that even means yeah. like, it's just like we oh, oh we got to make a statement too we don't recognize their government like I don't know what does that mean to you like that makes no sense so because I mean even yeah, with that's the part I don't going on right now it's like what understand. are you going to do now? it's like okay I mean, so you're kind you of sort of in Russia who are punishing people the in the country for Lisa, what their and, wacko leaders so do like you know I, I don't most of the people I've seen pulled in Russia athletes can't like, compete they don't want a war they don't want they, they're so what are you going to disagreement what would you even with do with that? and why would you do it, it? But, especially with CrossFit you know, you're kind of limited as what you as an individual can do especially in that part of the world compared to the US so I don't I don't know how you can sort of punish athletes for it. That makes no sense to me.
Oh, nice. What is this week? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Speaking of CrossFit, I will say that the uh, the, the Open is like in full swing. I only have I don't have any athletes personally that are doing, but there's a couple of people here that are doing the Open. They're a little they're a little worried about this week because it's mm. <laughs> it's uh it's a ten minute cap, so you wouldn't get there. But it's basically a, a one to ten ladder and back down. So. One, two, three, four, like all the way up to ten, and then back down. Of <laughs> deadlifts at two twenty for guys. Deadlifts at two twenty five and burpee bar overs. And then girls at right. one fifty five or something like that. But the idea of doing a hundred deadlifts doesn't seem super exciting to the to the gentlemen who are doing it here. And I got one of those things. I was like, like when I saw the work, I was like, okay, it just sounds like. CrossFit, CrossFit, being CrossFit, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say like the deadlift part. I, <laughs> I'd be not so bad like with it. It would suck, but when you put the burpees in with it, I'm like, oh god. Just to <laughs> sit there and pound out a hundred reps, particularly with burpees. Obviously, if you're not in shape, you're not gonna get. You'll get capped at the ten minute mark before, you know. Yep. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I don't pay attention to, like, the strategic stuff anymore because I don't have anyone competing in it. In oh, it. no. <laughs> but, you know, obviously, it's like you're always looking for ways to, like, save your grip on deadlift workouts like this. But I just, I mean, right. I feel like most people are going to come away crippled from this, especially if the culture of, like, do it and then redo it is still around. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, do it on Friday and yeah. Monday. Like that, Oof, poor bastards. Two hundred, <laughs> even if that's fifty percent or less than your max. And like I said, not not everyone's going to get there, but there's a lot of people who this is in the neighborhood yeah, of like I've noticed that too. Percent of their max, eighty percent, ninety percent. That's where, yeah. Yep. That's where the sketchiness kind of comes in with that. Women can get away with. I think women could probably get away with this being 70% and still get through it. They tend to have a little bit better. They're going to do more reps with a higher percentage, but. But yeah, if you're not, so if you're not deadlifting 500, (laughs) this workout will. Yeah, especially for 225 (laughs) when you're getting up to 10 and you have that much fatigue on board and your max is 315. And you've done a bunch of burpees in between. As a guy, and you have to do your 70%, I just like wheelchairing your way into your session on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always I'm always curious with these workouts with like barbell stuff because, right, it's like how much volume can be done and like the people who are really good at it, like they're not particularly stronger, right? So let's say like Rich Froning and Matt Fraser and these guys aren't like they are the top have the top end of strength, but they're not the strongest usually. Like, they're in the 500, 550 range, and they can just, like, the main advantage they have is they can just do 
more work with kind of those percentages and like just keep moving. And when I was into it and like actually getting around, you know, competitive CrossFit coaches, they always suggested that the athletes who do the best in CrossFit are always the ones it's like in strength and power sports where you have guys who are like pretty good, but not the best. Like they're not the most explosive. They're two A fibers, a hybrid fiber. Like had this theory that it was the athletes who rise to the top of most sports have the most fast switch fibers. And then these particular athletes are like the, they kind of have the, whatever it is, the two B more of the two B fibers where it's like, yeah, so more of the hybrid fibers. Yeah, to it, more of the hybrid fiber. Um, because they can, they couldn't breach that wall to be like the best and most explosive in their sport, but they're still there and they still have a high level of endurance yeah. with these type of moves. Yeah, it's back when so I watched and worked with CrossFit a lot more. I don't do too much with of, it now. Um, like your ability to do. It was always interesting to watch, like Rich Ronin. Quickly, who I think was probably the first big than, guy to kind of master efficiency you know, and was strong enough, seconds, but also had a right? huge aerobic base. Because if you watched him all the time, you're like, "Oh shit, he's going to lose again." Oh no, he won again, <laughs> right? He always kind of looked about the same, very efficient breathing patterns. Um, and I think CrossFit in general has gotten much better at that. And then I've talked to my buddy. Uh, Dr. Ben House and Evan uh, Pycon a lot about this too. And Evan's did a lot of work when he worked at a training uh, think tank on this area. And their kind of thoughts, yeah. which I would agree with, is that if you are super big and strong, you can probably contract enough muscle fibers to temporarily even maybe occlude blood flow. So if we stick a Moxie muscle oxygen sensor on it, right? So the stronger you are, the more fibers you can recruit and the stronger, faster you can recruit them. That's great, but that also potentially screws up your blood flow, right? So you're going to desaturate really, really fast, which for strength sports, if you're just doing a couple rep max, who cares? It's fine. But now you have to do cyclic work. So you're basically trying to make weight training look like an endurance event, right? So you want as much blood flow to that muscle as possible. So you want to probably contract less fibers so you're not having any type of occlusion uh probably mostly venous occlusion right limiting blood flow to it and then the second you're done with that weight you want everything to relax as fast as possible and if you're doing something like a burpee or something in between you want that to be extremely aerobic with very little muscle contraction so you can oxygenate that tissue and then just kind of go back and forth so you're trying to take weight training and make it look almost like sort of aerobic type uh, event and that's why some of the most like and probably not so much anymore but i'd say back in the day you would see like these you know very jacked competitors show up out of nowhere you're like whoa that guy or gal is gonna crush everyone and then like by day two like you never see him again (laughs) you know like just they were probably super strong and maybe because they can you know, create a hypoxic environment that that's more of a stimulus for muscle hypertrophy. But for CrossFit, that's probably not an advantage. That's a that's a disadvantage, right? And so you would, you know, see people who are impressive physiques, but yeah, weren't always the most impressive. And those are people that were usually more at the top. So all hypothetical, but 
Yeah, it is. It is interesting because for yeah. a while I was thinking just CrossFit was coming up. I'm like, oh, it gets super popular. You're going to see, you know, like people who, you know, maybe played in the, the NFL or other yeah. like really high level athletes come in and, and just crush everyone. And that didn't really happen. Yeah. Right. I think because CrossFit is kind of its own thing. And those types of highly explosive athletes, you're just not really rewarded for that in CrossFit. So it, it kind of stayed right around as sort of its own kind of weird developmental thing. And then if you add, you know, going to the games and doing it for yep. multiple days in a row, you know, like the starting with a marathon row, like they had the one year or friggin' swimming and God knows whatever else it's. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, this is my opinion of CrossFit. I'll just kind of finish with yep. this. Is like, it was one of oh, the first yeah. sports that I encountered ever that extra medium is what, like, the most medium is what was the reward, rewarded the most. Even if you look at the endurance hat, like, like an 800 meter sprinter, yes, they're still very fast. Like, they're, towards the top end of speed with like if they were to run a hundred, they're still kind of, they're still pretty fast and you're just kind of managing the rest of their, you know, output. Definitely. Like a decathlete was the only, that was the only other one that I thought maybe right. would transfer over really well. Heptathlete, decathlete. But otherwise it's like the only sport that the more medium you are, like, the, it's a high level of strength, I would say, for most like the average person, but it's not a high level of strength in the scope of strength training. Well, even like just to be good, I would say that in powerlifting, and I always talk about the 600 deadlift, yeah. like 600 deadlift <laughs> and powerlifting, like that's it's not great, but it's not super competitive for most people in that 185 to 220 range. Yeah. Or 180 to 220. Yeah, because I think there's that, That's not again, there's that, that trade-off that where rarely in CrossFit are you ever doing a 1RM deadlift. You know I can't remember the last time they had like some goofy stuff in the past, like, like the partner sweet stuff, spot. and I don't know what all. But if you spend your money it's pretty rare. More, right? it's, it's mostly you, a ladder. It's reps. It's, you're just not rewarded for the max. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, they do. Like they'll the the strength hasn't improved all that much. They just did one, like kind of repeated it, and it was like same. There's like more people were in the top end in that 500 range were in than the first games, but the top didn't change that much. But there was still in the first CrossFit games, there was still somebody who deadlifted like in this like either six or really close to six. And it's the same here, like six or close to six, but more people ended up in that 500 plus 550 range for guys. Girls is the one that made the most, the biggest leap. Because I, but part of that's, I think women have, women have been under, like they've had 
under the kind of normal amount of athletic yeah, opportunities. Yeah, I believe that. And I think CrossFit is actually, to so their credit, done a lot to with help strength training and with really even strong is younger women athletes women. of all types. That so we don't it, know it's cool exactly where strong, their ceiling is. Right? I mean, you've been so around you long enough to know that jumps with women it hasn't always been the men. case for women's sports even. Even for women competing in athletics, there's always subdivisions of that. But, you know, I think they've given them permission that, yeah, it's it's good. Getting stronger is, is a good thing. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be interesting. I think unfortunately I'm gonna be gone during the CrossFit games. I know it's in Madison. We went the last oh god, we didn't before COVID we went a couple of times and yeah, it was always fun. It was always a good time, but I think unfortunately we're gonna be out of town during then. That I would agree with. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, and uh we'll hear back from Phil next week and that's it see you all next week yeah uh, haven't been in a while cool. so. i'll kick the uh recording over to phil uh, here today see ya